Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. As we look at Genesis chapter 3 tonight, one of the things I want us to observe is not necessarily the craftiness or the cleverness of the enemy, but I want you to see how he uses the same tactics throughout time to deceive mankind. Time and time again, there is no originality. He does the same things over and over again. And tonight, as we look at Genesis chapter 3, I want you to see the tactics of the enemy, how he tempts us to sin, first of all, with regards to God, or how he tempts us Godward, and how he tempts us manward. Now, I'm going to uh, read our text today, we will pray, and then I'll do my best to explain that to you. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, as we come tonight to your word, the last thing that we want to do is to put glory or the spotlight on anyone else but you. So tonight as we take a look at these tactics, I pray that our minds and our hearts would not drift toward the craftiness of the serpent, but I pray that our hearts would drift toward the graciousness of our God. We want to thank you for being so gracious and slow to anger with us, for being patient and merciful and kind. And as we take a look now at this sacred moment that thrust all of mankind into sin and into death and certainly into hell. We pray that now, as we look at this passage, we would be reminded of of the gospel and all that you've accomplished for us. Father, use us this evening, use me this evening to proclaim your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Adam and Eve are put in the most perfect of circumstances. They are in God's uh, newly created world. He has created this world in six days and rested on the seventh. Amen. He has has not drawn out this process over millions and billions of years. Now, uh, I know that I bring that up to you automatically, and some people may say, you know, Josh is saying you have to believe in a literal six days to be saved. That's not an issue of salvation. But, uh, you know, if you're going to go to heaven, we might as well be first class. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at Scripture as the way that God has written it. And so we believe that God has created the earth in six literal days and rested on the seventh. And now in this fresh new world, God has planted a garden called Eden. It is a paradise on earth for Adam and Eve. 
They are living without the consequences of sin. Sin has not been led into the garden, and yet Adam and Eve uh, will in these moments open the door to death and open the door to all of these things to be cast upon all of mankind. But how did it happen? And so you might say, or so you may have heard others say, if we were put in that same place, we would never have made the same mistake. But I hope this evening as we look at the tactics of the enemy, you will see how we, given, uh, given similar conditions or given the exact same conditions, would have done the exact same thing. I would promise you we'd look at the way that he, the tactics of the enemy with regards to Godward first. And so I want you to see, first of all, that when Satan speaks here, when the enemy comes to tempt mankind, I want you to see, first of all, that he questions the authenticity of God's word. He questions the authenticity of God's word. His very first words that he utters in the book of Genesis are the same words that he utters today through various mouthpieces across the world. Look with me now in verse, it's still in verse 1. He says to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Satan is questioning the authenticity of God's word as revealed to Adam and to Eve. And I want you to know today, my friends, that Satan has the same tactic. He has the same tactic today. As a matter of fact, for those of us who are in here, uh, followers of Jesus Christ who hold on to God's word, and we say that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God, you should know we are in the minority of even professing believers. Did you know that? Uh, Dr. Milliken gave us some great statistics this past Sunday. Uh, he is absolutely right on. Majority of even people who claim to be believers would not say that this is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. What a shame. And in the name of academia, uh, perhaps, and, and I don't, I'm not against uh, us looking at original manuscripts, looking at early or looking at reliable manuscripts to make sure that our translations are proper and are thorough. But in the name of textual criticism for years, all the way back to Genesis, the enemy has always stated, did God really say? Did God really say this? And when your friends or when people you drink coffee with or when your family may say, well, did God really say that such and such sin was wrong? Did God really say that? Know that they're speaking the same way that the enemy spoke from the beginning of creation. Did God really say? I'll say, I've, I've said it in, I don't say it often. I've said it a few times in conversations uh, with uh people who claim to be believers and don't believe that the Bible is, God, is God's infallible and inerrant word, I'll say, you know, you sound a whole lot like somebody else that I've heard of in the Bible. And that's what Satan is saying here. Did God really say? And you know, when Satan is tempting you uh, to sin in your life, one of the first things that Satan does in your life is makes you question the authenticity of God's word. Did God really say this? Next, not only does he question the authenticity of God's word, but he warps God's word. 
Notice what he says. Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? No. And yet here, Satan uses this tactic that he has used throughout time to uh, destabilize God's church and God's people, to destabilize those who are growing in their faith. He takes God's word and he warps it. He changes it just a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm no good at land navigation. You guys know this. I use my phone to get me from one place to the next. Uh, if it told me to drive into a pond to get to a location, I might be tempted to do so. You know, I've said before here, north, south, east, west, if I'm, if I'm traveling somewhere and someone says, hey, you're going to drive north 20 miles, then you're going to turn west and go four miles, I'm going to say, are we on Oregon Trail? Uh, what's happening here? Tell me where to turn. Is it next to a McDonald's? Is there a funny-looking fire hydrant next to it? You know, I'm not good at land navigation. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was in the Army National Guard. I was in an aviation unit. Uh, we had gotten a new commander who had, uh, who had come from uh, an infantry uh, place, and he was going to show us aviation boys, how we are to do land navigation. He took us out to the middle of Camp Robinson. He put out all of these uh, flags that we were supposed to go find, and we all got lost for 10, 12 hours, right? One of the ways that you get lost is you, you take your coordinates, and then maybe you're off by just a degree. And you think, okay, it's just a degree. How off am I going to be? But over the course of time, that small degree of being off, you will find yourself way off course. Now, Satan understands this. And one of the tactics that he uses to distract and disable believers is to have you uh, believe just a little bit of the truth or the truth warped in, in some way. So there'd be people today who would say that doctrine is not important. All that matters are these essentials, and by the way, those essentials are getting fewer and fewer, if even in, in existence at all. And yet, we find that the only other person in Scripture who has had that same outlook of Scripture and of God is who? The enemy. And so we know it's the enemy's job to warp Scripture. So we ought to be like the Bereans who study Scripture who understand Scripture. We ought to be those people who aren't satisfied with, with being wrong on, in, in uh, matters of doctrine. I'm sure that when I get to heaven, there are going to be areas that I will have gotten wrong. I haven't figured those out yet, okay? Uh, I'm sure that there will be those areas. But until then, I want to study God's Word. Lord, I want to understand your word. I want to apply it to my I want you to apply it to my life correctly. I don't want to be off just a little bit. I don't want to warp your word. People do that today with the word love. They'll say, well, you uh, love means that you're just openly accepting of everyone around you. That's not what love means. God gets to define uh, love because it's his word. It's it's who it's part of who he is. Right? God is love. Love isn't what we've made it to be. We've warped it. We've changed it just like the enemy has. So how does, how does Satan trick us? We see that he questions the authenticity of God's word. He, he warps God's word. Thirdly, he questions the authority of God's word. Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman says to the serpent, 
we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What is he doing here? He's questioning God's authority. God said that he is going to bring death upon you if you break this rule, if you eat from this tree. But what I'm saying is, what the enemy is saying is, is he really going to do that? Does he have the power to do that? Does he have the authority to do that? Same question, same thing that Satan is doing in the world. I believe even to some extent in God's church today. Getting us to question the power of God. Getting us to question the authority of God. How could God allow such things? How could God do this into my life? Satan says to Eve, you will not surely die. God is not good for his word. He's not going to follow through on that. He's getting us to question the authority of God. As a matter of fact, you might better understand this. Uh, when you're facing temptation in your own life and when you're at the threshold of giving in to your anger or to your gossip or whatever it may be, and one of the last things that the tempter is going to do in your life is make you think if just for a moment that you're not really going to die because of this sin. But I want you to know the scripture says, the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. That little bitty lie that you told today that is just something that, that gets you by or that, that uh, loss of temperament that you had today that you just write off and you say that's just a part of the human existence. We say as Christians, no. My sin deserves rightly so the righteous wrath of Almighty God. Every one of them. Not just the sins of your friends, not just the sins of your enemies. Our sin deserves death. And yet the enemy, even in our own hearts, you'll find that in your own heart, you'll justify it. But will I really die? That's why Paul will tell the Romans, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, absolutely not. Satan questions the authenticity of God's word. He warps God's word. He questions the authority of God himself. This is all God word here. He questions all of these things. And then he casts aspersions on the intention and integrity of God. He says, you will not surely die in verse 4. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying God's trying to keep you from something good. Don't you find that that's what happens in temptation in our lives? God's just trying to keep me from something good. That's what we're known for in the world. We're a, list of, we're a group of people who have a list of don'ts. We have the Ten Commandments. We have all these laws. We have all of these rules. And all of them are to keep us away from things, right? And what Satan is doing here is he's perpetrating that same lie. 
He's he's casting uh, 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 God's character and integrity uh, with aspersions. He's he's casting doubt upon it, on, upon God's intentions. The the tree in that garden and God telling them not to partake of that tree is not trying to keep them from something good, but trying to keep them in the only thing that is good. And yet Satan does the same thing today, doesn't he? Well, God, why would you keep me from something that feels good in the moment? There is a way that seems right to man, the Bible says, but the end result is death. Oh, Satan is crafty. He, when he tempts us, he makes these attempts Godward to warp our view of God, of his integrity, to warp our view of the authenticity of his word, to warp all of those things, to make us think that he has no actual authority in our lives, that we may have the authority now see next, as Eve looks at this tree, I want you to see, even though there are no words from Satan here, I want you to see how he affects us inward or manward. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. You know, we read, we read that statement. And we just want to breeze past it. But when you read that statement, you think of all of those lives, of all of mankind that's gone before us. This is no just mere story or statement. This is the beginning of so much tragedy in our lives that would be redeemed by the blood of Jesus that would, that would offer hope and grace and love through the name of Jesus. And yet here is Eve being tempted by the enemy, and as she's being tempted by the enemy, she sees that the tree, or we should say sin, was good for food. As I said just a moment ago, as Satan tempts us, he says, sin's going to feel good. It's going to seem right. And to the world, it's going to be a way to escape from the from the discouragement of life, if you can just be inebriated and you for a, a few moments can forget about all of your troubles, or you can just go and live your life however it is that you want, and you can escape from your troubles, Satan causes Eve here to look upon that tree and see that it is Good. That's strange that that word is used here because during chapter one, that word is used a lot. God created everything. He created the entire world. He said this is good. He created vegetation. He said this is good. At the end of every day, he says this is good. And now here is Eve looking at what God has proclaimed as not good for them, and she is proclaiming it as Good. Does that sound familiar today? We live in a world that calls everything right wrong. And everything wrong they describe as right and celebrate as right. The day is coming very, very soon. I keep waiting, Brother Johnny, to hear from our media team. I keep waiting to hear that uh, First Baptist Church of West Memphis has been censored, okay? Because I've 
rarely pull any punches when I get an opportunity uh, to stand before you and proclaim God's word. I try not to, okay? But I keep waiting to hear that. I think the day's coming soon when that will be the case. Where those of us who believe God's word and proclaim God's word will be hated for doing so. At one point in time, we uh, seemed, it seemed almost as if we were going with the flow of society, and now we are once again counter-cultural. But don't be scared, because what the world calls good, we know brings about death. Eve looks at this sin, she looks at this fruit, and the enemy has convinced her that this is this tree was good for food, that it felt right, that it was a delight to the eyes. That's how sin works. Sin is appeasing for a season. It, it, it is appealing. It, it, it attracts our flesh. Satan is appealing to that. She sees that it is good, not only for food, but it's pleasant for her just to look at that forbidden fruit that God has placed on this forbidden tree in this beautiful garden. And yet here she is standing before it, seeing how lovely it is. Also notice her proximity to it, right? She's right up next to that tree. Have you ever told a little kid not to touch a wall because of wet paint? Have you ever told an adult not to touch a wall because of wet paint? Here in a few weeks, we are going to be painting some of those walls out there in that construction zone. And I'm going to put up a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. And I'm going to get like a FBI guy over here to take all the fingerprints of you adults who touched it just to make sure. Right? We can't help it. We get just a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then all of a sudden, we wonder why we fell over the line. And yet Satan has her right here at the spot, just close to that tree. And she's getting closer and closer. It looks good for food. Oh, it looks good to my eyes. And then, then it says, and it was good to make one wise, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Again, Satan is causing Eve and all of humanity to go outside of God for wisdom. I want it. I want it my way. I want to see it the way I want to see it. Truth is relative. It's my truth. Those are the words that are being used today. What an absurd uh, a day that we live in that someone could say, my truth. What a, what a observably foolish, ignorant thing to say. And yet today it's mainstream. My truth. There's no my truth. There is truth, Right? There is truth, and there, there is that which is true. There is that which is false. And yet here is Satan causing Eve, as she gazes upon this tree, to see, oh, this is good for my wisdom. This is good for my mind. This is good for me. Isn't that what Satan does to us as we're tempted? When we're tempted by our own flesh uh, now, uh, we, are, we are tempted by our own de evil desires that are in our own flesh. But the enemy here is tempting Eve, and she gives in. She was with her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they 
knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, we read this passage, and we see the craftiness of the enemy and how Really, he's done the same thing throughout time, over and over and over again, and we keep falling for it over and over and over again. And what mankind does over and over and over again, even through religion, is they like to take these leaves that were never intended to be clothes, and they sew them together, and they try to cover themselves up. I'm going to cover myself up with church attendance, and that's going to make me feel better. Or I'm going to cover myself up with That's the same thing that we do with those, with those fig leaves in our lives. We try to sew them together. If we can just be good people, it will cover up our, our uh, nakedness in front of God, and yet none of that will work. Have you ever sewed together some leaves for clothes? I don't think anyone in here has, right? Don't try it, Okay. Here they are sewing leaves together, not a fitting, not fitting clothing to cover their nakedness. And yet what God will do here in just a few moments when he comes into the garden, he sees what has been done when he curses, uh, when he curses Adam and Eve and the serpent. And when he casts them out of the garden, as he will take a lamb, he will take a beast, he will sacrifice it, and he will clothe Adam and Eve. The serpent thought he was crafty. Ab and Eve thought they were being thrifty. We're going to take these leaves and make clothes for us. But it wasn't enough to protect. So God takes this lamb, he sacrifices it, and he gives them clothing, pointing us to Jesus. Our good works don't cover us. All of our best efforts won't cover us. What is required is something that we cannot provide, but the Father has provided. He showed us before in the garden. He showed us vividly on the cross by sending his son Jesus to come to live a perfect life, to take upon his broad and strong shoulders the weight of your sin and of my sin, all of that temptation that was given in on our behalf. He stood through. He he, he uh, went through it without, with perfection, without fail. And on that cross, he took our sin upon himself and died so that just as God clothed Adam and Eve with the hide of that beast, so we might be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Our sin deserves death and hell and separation from God, but God loves us so much that he wants to cover us. He wants to protect us. He wants to take care of us. And it's not about our good works or what we can do. It's about us coming to Jesus, falling upon him, turning from our sins, and turning to him. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, tonight you've heard me talk about how Satan tempts. And I know that I'm in a group of people who are home people. You've been here. You've heard God's word preached over and over again. You, so many of you in here are believers, but perhaps there's someone in here tonight who for many years have been relying on those, those old fig leaves to cover yourselves. Oh, there's something better that God's provided for you through Jesus. If you'll repent of your sins this evening, if you'll turn to Jesus, you'll find yourself clothed in his righteousness. 
He took our sins upon himself so that we might be robed in his righteousness. What a wonderful promise that God has made from the beginning. Believers, if you're here and you're in the midst of temptation, know that no temptation has come to you but that which is common to man. Fall on Jesus. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Run to Jesus. Submit yourself to Jesus. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In the midst of temptation, flee and cling to Jesus. And for those of you who don't know him, tonight I beg you to turn to Jesus and experience forgiveness and life in him. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I trust that through even my own inabilities, you have spoken your word tonight. And even through technical difficulties, I trust that there are those who've heard, whether online or whether here tonight, who have heard your gospel proclaimed, who have not yet given their lives to you. And my prayer is that this evening, that for those who are here tonight or who are listening online who do not know you, that today they will repent of their sins, that they will believe that Jesus is God's one and only Son who lived a perfect life and died for them and rose again from the grave, that they will submit to his lordship. And Lord, that they would come and speak to me or another counselor following this service and make a public profession of faith and follow you in believer's baptism. Father, we pray this evening for those who are lost, that they have come to know you. But Father, for my brothers and sisters who are here, who have, like me, fallen over and over and again, in temptation. Lord, I pray you'd give us strength to stand, strength to flee, strength to cling to you. And Lord, that you give us victory over those temptations and sins in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.